rejoicing, happiness, jolliness, uh, cheerfulness. Uh, these are some of the common words that we hear this Christmas season in our society. Um, when we went out uh, recently, a few weeks ago, in our neighborhood to invite our neighbors to our Christmas uh, neighborhood open house, uh, some of the neighbors, after we finished talking with them, uh, responded back to us and greeted us back as a closing greeting uh, with the words, Happy Holiday. And I thought to myself, what do, what do non-Christians celebrate this holiday season uh, for? What is it a holiday of? What reasons uh, does our society have uh, to, to be happy during this holiday season? It might be the get-togethers. It might be the visiting of family. Uh, it might be the days off. It might be the uh, gifts that we share with one another. But for all the the reasons that our society has to promote happiness and good moods of cheerfulness. And by the way, getting together, having family visit one another, sharing gifts with one another are wonderful experiences. And, and non-Christians can share in the, in the cheerfulness, in the joyfulness of these kinds of experiences. But for all the reasons that our society has to, to share and to, to wish one another happy holidays, we as Christians have something so much more profound, have so much more eternal to, to share in the joyfulness of and reasons to experience cheerfulness and joy. And this morning, I would like for us to consider that the celebration of Christmas um, is really, for us as believers, a wonderful opportunity to reflect and meditate on the eternal reasons why we are cheerful why we are happy, why we are joyful, and even, may I say, jolly at Christmas. Um, but for Christmas, for us as Christians, the Christmas celebration may also be difficult uh, because times like this, uh, we are reminded in various ways of the brokenness of uh, the world that we live in. And this broken world uh, manifests itself especially around holidays. Uh, whether it's a broken relationship that spoils a Christmas celebration, whether it's the, the grief that uh, particularly feels more pronounced uh, this Christmas season, especially for some among us who have lost dear ones just recently. Um, friends, for such experiences that make the Christmas celebration a more difficult experience, I'd like for us to consider the reason why even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of brokenness, what we celebrate at Christmas gives us hope to look beyond the brokenness of a world that we live in. And this morning, I would like for us to consider reasons why even in the midst of pain, brokenness, grief, this Christmas season, we have reasons to have hope and to celebrate and to rejoice. And this morning, I would like for us to consider Mary's song from the Gospel of Luke to be the text that guides us into what and why 
we can respond with great rejoicing, even in a broken world filled with grief, pain, and brokenness. So let's consider uh, Mary's song for Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading from verse 46 all the way to verse 56. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we'd love for you to grab one of the Bibles provided in the chairs in front of you. You may find this passage on page number 856. Here is God's word for us this morning as we consider reasons uh, to rejoice at Christmas. Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer, asking God to bless the preaching of his word and our hearts as we hear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you provide us incredible reasons to rejoice at Christmas. But Father, we recognize that in a broken world, even such a holiday, such a, such a season of, of rejoicing can be affected by, by the shadow of death, by the shadow of grief, by the shadow of, of brokenness. We pray this morning by your Holy Spirit to enable us to hear the, the promises that you have declared to Mary and to understand from Mary's own experience the reasons why we too can rejoice this Christmas season. We pray that you would help us to hear well your word. Open our hearts and our ears. In the name of Christ, we pray for his glory and honor. Amen. Amen. In the history of Christianity, the words we have just sung are often known and called as the Magnificat. Uh, for those of us who are unlike uh, our dear beloved Pastor Ryan, who knows Latin, we may not know what the word Magnificat means. It's really a Latin verb that means he or she magnifies. Uh, Mary's song that we have just read, uh, the words that she proclaims uh, in her response to her relative Elizabeth could literally be summarized in this one word, magnificat. She magnifies. It magnifies. What Mary does in this song is, is to magnify. Now, this song comes as a result of what a Mary, uh, how Mary's heart um, responded to the words of the angel uh, and, and the words that the angel Gabriel told Mary 
namely that she will be with child from the Holy Spirit, even though, that, though she was a virgin. Humanly speaking, we have no category uh, to explain a birth uh, from a virgin, other than God intervened in a miraculous way and brought about a conception, a, a conceiving in Mary's womb. That's exactly what God has done in planning to work out a great salvation by which God would send His eternal Son to become incarnate, to take upon Himself human flesh, to become a, a human being, and uh, to live a perfect life, eventually to be crucified on a cross, and then to be raised from the dead. Well, Mary gets to hear the, 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 the announcement of the very first step in that, in that story of God becoming man, that the Holy Spirit would come upon Mary, and she would conceive and give birth to a son. And Mary, her immediate response was, she believed. We know that from from the way she responded to the angel earlier in the, in the chapter, the passage we have not read, but we, we know well. We also know that Mary believed by the, by the way Elizabeth, her relative, affirmed Mary. Uh, just look with me to the very previous verse that we have not read uh, in our passage. In verse 45, um, Elizabeth is blessing Mary, and she says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. It's interesting that, that Elizabeth emphasizes this reaction from Mary. She believed. Uh, perhaps Elizabeth figured out that her husband, uh, Zechariah, failed to believe the promise that an, an angel, the same angel, gave her husband earlier about the birth of their son, John. We know that this song that Mary utters comes out of a heart that believes. Uh, the song of, of magnifying the Lord comes from a heart that takes God for His Word. So this morning, as we consider Mary's song, uh, let's consider the two parts that this song could be divided in. There's a, a few ways a song could be divided, but there's two ways we can divide it. And this morning, we're going to look at the first part, Mary's response towards God, and the second part, God's work toward all humanity. Mary's response toward God, and then God's word to work toward all humanity. Mary's response towards God is the first, the first emphasis we see in the, in the first half of this passage. How does Mary respond? We, we saw from verse 45 that she responds in faith. She believes. But what does that belief, what does that faith produce in Mary? Well, the first response that we see in her, she magnifies the Lord. She magnifies the Lord. And Mary said, look at verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does it mean to magnify? Uh, the, the dictionary word uh, for it gives us two definitions. One is to, to magnify would be to, to cause to be large or larger. A second definition is uh, to cause to be held in greater esteem. To cause to be held in greater esteem. The first definition doesn't make much sense uh, in this context. Because God is already the greatest. When Mary magnifies the Lord, Mary does not make God 
greater than he is. He doesn't cause God to be greater than he already is. There's no higher being than God. And there's no way in which we can cause God to be larger, greater than he already is. So to magnify the Lord does not mean to cause him to be greater, to make him greater. Instead, to magnify the Lord is to cause him to be held in greater esteem. Here on earth, because of the corruption of our sin, we do not see, humanity does not see God in his greatness as he truly is. And perhaps even as part of being our, in our creatureliness, even Adam and Eve before uh, falling into sin, we don't know if they were able to see God in his full beauty, in his full grandeur. I suspect, it's just my suspicion, I suspect not. Part of, the, of being created, of being human, is that we don't get to see God in his fullness, at least not on this side of eternity. But here is Mary recognizing and magnifying the Lord in a way that she is holding him in a greater esteem than before. And she's helping us through this song for all of us to hold the Lord in greater esteem and magnify Him. You see, this song of, of magnifying the Lord was not given in a, in a concert. This song was not given in a church service. This song was, a, was not a special um, religious activity. It was literally a one-on-one -on -one conversation that Mary had with her relative, Elizabeth, in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So here is Mary responding to Elizabeth, and her, what comes out of her mouth when she greets Elizabeth is this song that, of, of magnifying the Lord. Friends, how often do we speak about the Lord, not in a religious setting, not in a church service, not in, a, in some sort of a special program, but how often do we speak about the Lord in such a way that we, we cause Him to be held in greater esteem, even in our one-on-one -on -one conversations? How often do we speak about the Lord in such a way that we cause Him to be held in greater esteem uh, by us, by ourselves, but also by those who hear us? Notice also that Mary magnifies the Lord, uh, not merely with her lips. Mary esteems God highly, first of all, in her soul. And because of that, she's able to speak highly as well. Uh, oh, friends, it's one thing to praise the Lord uh, with our lips. Uh, we as Christians know that we should praise the Lord. Uh, we as Christians know that that's what's appropriate to do, especially when we gather together. But it's quite another thing to truly see in your soul the greatness of God and for your soul to magnify the Lord. And from that soul that magnifies the Lord to come words of praise and adoration. Here is a high view of God. So high that Mary's soul cannot keep it only to herself. But even in a one-on-one -on -one conversation in family relationships. Here is Mary giving one of the most beautiful songs of the, of the New Testament. Notice what else is going on in Mary's inner being. She not only magnifies the Lord, but she rejoices in God. She says in verse 47, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Friends, there's a connection between 
magnifying the Lord in our hearts, in our souls, and experience, experiencing rejoicing in the Lord. How should I put it more simply than this? People who have a low view of God have a hard time rejoicing in God. People who have a low view of the Lord have a hard time rejoicing in the Lord. If you have a low view of your spouse, you will have a hard time rejoicing in your spouse. If you have a low view of the people of God, of the gathering of the saints, of the church, not as a building, but as a people of God, you'll have a hard time rejoicing in them or desiring to be with them. In a similar way, when we have a, a low view of, of God, for whatever reason, whatever clouds our, our view of God, if in our soul we, we hold on to a, a low view of God, we're going to have a hard time rejoicing in God. Well, friends, our rejoicing in God is evidence that we magnify Him in our hearts. There's no rejoicing outwardly in God if there's no magnifying inside the heart. Friends, I wonder, what does it take for us to, to have a high view of God? To cultivate a high view of God? Perhaps the, the difficulties, perhaps, perhaps the trials, perhaps circumstances in life, perhaps our own self-centeredness, perhaps our own preoccupation with other things crowd out a high view of God in our own hearts. Some of us this morning might be struggling with apathy towards God. Some of us might be struggling with disinterest towards God. Some of us might be struggling with so much stress in everything else going on in our lives that we have a hard time focusing and, and recognizing and meditating on the greatness of God. Others may regard God as great, more, more out of politeness and out of duty than out of, of a, a, a sheer sense of the, the joy of seeing the, the grandness of God. Oh, friends, this song will give us several key characteristics why Mary magnifies God and why she rejoices in God and why we, too, can do the same. Now some, for some, it might be easy to say, well, of course, for Mary, it's easy to, to rejoice in God and to magnify God after such a news. Well, true, it is in some ways. Uh, but remember, Jesus had not been born yet. This is still in the very first few weeks of, of the pregnancy. There's no pregnancy tests to check and make sure that something truly has happened. Uh, you know how married couples, when they, when they start expecting, they're not telling anybody for a few weeks at least. Because they want to first go to the doctor, make sure it's real and it's not just something, just a, a, a short experience um, that just passes by. It's not the real thing. Um, Mary is uttering this song before she really has evidence that something truly has taken place in her. She just heard the word. She just heard the promise. She's rejoicing before any of the deliverance is actually executed. So there is something even on Mary's situation. 
But some of you might say, yeah, yeah, but, 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 we, but she knows, she believes, and it's going to happen really quick. What about the brokenness of this world? Can we rejoice in God when, when things seem bleak? At least Mary had a, a nine months end of a tunnel. It's coming. But what about when you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel? Can you rejoice in God? One of the things that we know about Mary is that she is steeped with Old Testament language. So much of this song is filled with Old Testament language. And even the notion of rejoicing in, in, in the God of salvation is a passage, is a phrase that's taken from Habakkuk uh, 3, 17 and 18. The book of Habakkuk says this. The prophet says this in Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though the fruit be on, though nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, the economy is crashing. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Do you hear that phrase? I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In other words, God's salvation of us is not in peril because of our difficulties. Even in the low experiences of life, He is God, our Savior. And this is what, how and what Mary sees about God. Mary describes God in verse 47 as God, my Savior. She rejoices in God, her Savior. Now consider this. Mary is carrying the eternal Son of God in her womb. And yet she too needed God to save her. The first point Mary realized about herself is that she needs God to save her. Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, needs salvation. What about you, my dear friend? Some time ago, a man from uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church began attending a Baptist church. It was a Romanian Baptist church. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, parishioners are taught to pray to the Virgin Mary. And uh, as this man began attending uh, the Baptist church, the pastor of the Baptist church uh, told the man that we don't pray to Virgin Mary because she too was in need of God's salvation. And the man, shocked, Surprised, could you, could you show me from the Bible where it says that Mary needed to be saved? And the pastor pointed to this verse, to Mary's song, when Mary calls God my Savior. You only call God your Savior if you know you need Him as your Savior. Mary doesn't just call God, God the Savior of the world. No, Mary says, God, my Savior. Oh, friends, if Mary, who, cho who was chosen by God to be the mother of the incarnation of, of the Son of God, needed salvation, what about you and I? Mary rejoices in God, first and foremost, not as a source of earthly prosperity, but as the one who saves her. Friend, is... Is God's salvation sufficient, a sufficient cause for you to rejoice in God? It's God's 
salvation of you. Sufficient, a sufficient reason to rejoice in the Lord. Think about it. How often, even for us as Christians, we forget the glorious hope of God's salvation. While we know it with our heads, while we sing it in the carols, we may not live in light of that glorious salvation. And our rejoicing is not in light of that glorious salvation. It's as if we say, yes, 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 I believe in God, my Savior, but I surely need something more than that in order to rejoice this Christmas season. I wonder if, if you and I are in that category of people, tempted by that kind of satisfaction to need more. Mary comes to realize that God, the Son of God is, who is conceived in her, is bringing her own salvation. And she it will be considered blessed by all generations, but she's deeply aware that she needs God's salvation. But then Mary speaks of what God has done for her. Now, remember, at this point, Mary hasn't received anything but a word of promise. And she doesn't know what truly has happened yet in her womb. All of this is based on what she believes she has heard from the angel. Mary speaks of what God has done for her. Look at verses 48 and 49. Two things. God looked on her humility, and God has done great things for her. Verse 48, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary comes to realize, by faith, at this point, it's all by faith. She comes to realize God's agenda to bring about a great re reversal. And in choosing her, Mary comes to realize that God is bringing His rescue and restoration operation by reversing the values of the world system. God has chosen a peasant girl with no significance, in no, no particular role in the social stratus of her society at that time. All she had was the fear of God and a deep trust and faith in the God of the Old Testament. Why do we know that? How do we know that? It's because so much of her song is based on prophetic and, and, and inspired words of the Old Testament. Her song in particular is based very closely on the song of Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel, the passage that we have read earlier in our service. There's a sense in which when, when you look at the two songs, you come to realize so much resemblance between them that Mary is, is believing that God is about to do another restoration, this time a greater restoration than God has done even with Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. Oh, friends, Mary comes to realize that even though there's nothing special about her, there's nothing special about her status, uh, she has confidence in God. Of a lowly status with no significance, but believing the Word of God, having a high view of God, Mary praises God. And she comes back and closes this praising of God by declaring the holiness of God. Look at verse 49. She finishes she finishes speaking of how she thinks of God by saying, and holy is her name, is his name. Before Jesus was born, before Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, 
Before Jesus taught his disciples to start the Lord's Prayer with the words, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. Mary, the mother of Jesus, prays that to the Lord. Holy is his name. Friends, in his holiness, God does not evaluate us based on how society evaluates us. So Mary rejoices in the holiness of God. In Mary's heart, we can't speak about the greatness of God without speaking about the holiness of God. Mary can't rejoice in God her Savior without referring also to His holiness. There's no discrepancy between salvation and grace and the holiness of God. These things are brought together in the song and in, in Mary's heart as she rejoices in God. Oh, friends, God's holiness and salvation go hand in hand. God saves because He's holy. If God was not holy, He, didn't, he would not need to save us. He could allow us to stay around in our corruption and sin. He would have no problem mingling with us for all eternity with our corruption and sin if he was not holy. The only reason why he needs to escape us and to save us is because he's holy. So consider the reality as we celebrate the grace of God in salvation that he does it so, he does it so because he's holy. Mary, Mary's song moves from speaking about her response to God and, and magnifying God to speaking about how God works towards all humanity. And this is the second emphasis we see in the song that she, that she sings. God's work towards all humanity. And we see this in verses 50 through 55. Now you might expect to hear that God works towards all humanity in the same way. In the song in particular, uh, we will notice two, two words that come up in verse 50 and come up at the end in 55, 54 and 55. It's a word mercy. God acts towards humanity because of his mercy. We saw that in last week in the song that, that uh, Zechariah uh, prophesied. We see this theme of mercy coming up again here in verse 50 and then 54 and 55. But this song challenges us to actually come to recognize that God's mercy is shown not equally to all humanity. Let me say that again. God's mercy is shown not equally towards all humanity. Mary begins speaking about God's mercy in a way that doesn't encourage us to presume upon God's mercy and to just delay thinking about how we live before the Lord. Mary brings in the notion of the mercy of God. And she tells us that actually God's mercy will discriminate. And this is a shocking news. Mary begins speaking of God's actions towards all humanity by pointing to His mercy, but notice verse 50, verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Notice that God's mercy does not mean that we get a few pa free pass on continuing in pride and arrogance. His mercy is for those who fear Him. This is a way of saying that we should not presume 
or assume upon God's mercy as an excuse to continue to live in arrogance and pride. And what does it mean that God's mercy is for those who fear Him? Here the word to fear is used positively in the sense of seeing His greatness and power, His authority and worthiness. For such people, God turns towards them in mercy. And towards those who continue to live in arrogance and pride, notice how differently God responds in this passage. In verses 51 through 53, we see three pairs of contrasts. Let's look at each of these contrasts. The first contrast is in verse 51. God shows strength but scatters the proud. Look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now, in the book of Isaiah, one of the prophets' prayer was, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old. And the examples Isaiah used um, referred to the story of Exodus when God showed His power and strength uh, over the, kings, the king of Egypt and over the waters of the, sea, of, of the Red Sea to bring about a great rescue of, from bondage for the people of Israel. Mary is using that same language here. But here Mary goes on to say that God is using His strength not merely against the king of Egypt in the past, Notice who is God using His strength against. God is showing His strength in scattering those who are proud in their thoughts. You don't have to be a king to be scattered by God. It's enough merely to be proud in your thoughts, to be scattered by God. Oh, dear friends, being proud in the thoughts of our hearts is such a dangerous to be a position to be in. Notice that pride is not merely our actions. For some of us, pride is very visible. You can see it in the way someone talks. You can see it in the way someone acts. They always find a way to bring conversations back to themselves. They always want to keep control of things. Um, people who are very competitive are typically proud. They always want to be first. It's a particular danger. But just because you're not competitive doesn't mean that you are more shielded from pride. There's pride in people who don't talk much. They're afraid of what people will think of them. That's why they don't talk much. It could be pride. Now, I'm not saying that some people are just not more quiet, but for some people, quietness could be rooted because of pride. It's not the pride that's visible. It's a pride that is inside, the, the thoughts that are prideful. And so here, God, or Mary, it tells us that God is a God who acts in strength, but He's acting to scatter the proud. Friends, the God who sees what is happening at the level of our thoughts, He knows what, what happens in our hearts, and He's a God who scatters the proud. Proverbs 16.5, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, He will not go unpunished. So ask yourself, do you want to be among those who fear God or among those who are proud and will be scattered? God's mercy is not going to be shown similarly to everybody. A second contrast is between the mighty and the humble. Look at verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
In other words, God is showing his strength in bringing those who feel secure, who feel powerful. And, and here in Mary's case, in Mary's language and in, in, her, in, her, in her day, uh, sitting on a throne, the kings seem to be the most invincible of the day. And she exalts God for bringing down those who feel that can never be brought down. Their power, their strength is not able to protect them from God's strength to bring them down. Well, you may say, I'm, I'm never going to be a king, so this doesn't affect me. I'm never going to be as proud or as secure as a king, so this is not really for me. But what about, what about the rising up of the, of the ladder of success? For, for some of us, it might apply this way. God is bringing down those who are at the top of the ladder of success. Or God is, is, can bring down those who aspire and are succeeding at rising the ladder. Friends, if we're more concerned with, with our success, with our security, realize that the Lord can bring all of that down and bring us down with it as well. Sometimes God brings his own people low in order to teach them humility. But the opposite is also true. God in his strength is able to exalt the humble. He's able to bring up those who are of lowly status. No matter how lowly our status is, God is able to bring up those who are in the dust. Friends, it is significantly more strategic, if you will, more valuable to consider and cultivate humility rather than cultivate growing up or rising up the ladder of success or strength or self-security. A third contrast is, is God satisfies the hungry but sends the rich away. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And this part comes from Psalm 107 verse 9 where it says, For he satisfies a longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Friends, God is able to satisfy the hungry. But those who are filled with the riches of, of this world, and those who are satisfied with their riches, the Lord sends away empty. Now, this does not mean that having riches or wealth is a sin. But one of the temptations of wealth and riches is that it can cause people to feel secure in them, and it can cause them not to feel their need of God. They feel they have everything they need. Friends, one of the postures of the heart that we need to have before God is to feel our need of Him. If we assume that we don't need God, don't be surprised if God sends you away empty. People may come to church and feel like, oh, there's nothing here for me. And leave very unaffected. It's because they come empty. They, 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 they go empty because they come filled. They don't see their need. And just the challenge that God, in His mercy, is sending people empty. He's sending people empty especially those who feel they have no need of him. Who are such people? Those who feel they don't need God. Those who feel they can handle things on their own. 
Matthew 5:11, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Friends, if you are walking away empty-handed from, from experiencing God, it's possible that it's not God's problem, but yours. When you come to feel secure in yourself, or when you come feel so preoccupied with, with satisfying yourself with what the world gives you, trusting in your talents, trusting in your possessions, in your relationships, in your abilities, don't be surprised if you're coming to God and walking away from Him empty-handed. Consider praying and asking God to help you feel your need of Him. Ask Him to help you turn away from self-reliance and help you hunger for the Lord in a fresh way. These contrasts between those who fear God and those who are proud, between the powerful and the lowly, between the hungry and the full, show us that God's mercy will bring a great reversal in what our human nature pursues and evaluates. In our nature, we despise the lowly. We, we don't want to be hungry. We seek control, power, things our own way. But the fear of God, when rightly understood, does not put em emphasis and confidence in such values. And the mercy of God will come to the aid of those who express and feel their need of God. Just because God is merciful does not mean that we should continue in our pride, in the security of our strengths, or in the confidence of our possessions. Instead, we should come cultivate humble hearts, hungry hearts, fearful hearts. God, in His own way, in His own timing, knows how to exalt the hungry. He knows how to satisfy the He knows how to to exalt the lowly, the humble. He knows how to satisfy the hungry, and He knows how to give strength to those who fear Him. It's very possible, dear friends, that sometimes God brings us to experience the valleys of life to help us actually cultivate more humility. Such experiences are never easy. They stretch us. They try us. They may even bring us to many tears but have confidence in this, that God knows how to exalt the humble. Fearing God, friends, is a greater asset than feeling strong or self-confident. And Mary closes her song on reminding us that God helps his people. Look at verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And the thoughts of these two verses echo what God spoke in Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Mary is echoing that promise of God's help and bring that into her song. Mary is saying in essence that God is fulfilling the promises He has spoken to Israel in Isaiah's time. Friends, we need not be anxious in our fears. We need not be fearful in our lowly experiences. 
if God sent us His only Son as a means by which God shows us His commitment to come to the aid of His people, why would we rely on other helps, on ourselves, on this world? God showed us His help by sending His own Son through Mary. Many of us feel in our own lives a tug of war between the experience of lowly, powerless, humble, plain out very difficult situations. What does it look like for you to respond with faith as Mary did in the God that has promised so much to Mary? She has believed it and the history showed us that God brought it about. Oh friends, what would it look like for you and me to trust in the Lord and respond to Him with the same degree of faith in the promises of God, in the character of God. Mary's song is all about God. She began telling us about how she magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God her Savior. She sees the plans of God to bring His own Son into the world as a means by which God will work towards all humanity. But God's work towards all humanity is not going to be the same for everyone. God is merciful, but He's not going to show His mercy the same way for everyone. And that encourages us and challenges us not to continue in our pride and arrogance. We should continue rather to turn and trust ourselves into the hands of the Lord. Don't trust in what you can do. Don't trust in what you hope this world will do for you. Trust in what the Lord Himself can do for you. God is going to bring a great reversal of what the world values and experiences now. And Mary's experience is merely the tip of the iceberg. The song encourages us to respond to God in faith. It's hard to magnify the Lord when you struggle to believe that He can do what is humanly impossible. And yet that is exactly what Mary wants us to see. The Lord did in her the humanly impossible, bringing the Messiah from a virgin birth. May we be a people who trust in God's word, who rejoice in his salvation, and therefore magnify the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are amazed to see how you have worked in the story of the birth of Christ to show us your commitment to bring a reversal of what the world values, what the world puts confidence in, where the world trusts in. And you bring about a reversal of those experiences. And you bring your help. You bring your assistance. You bring your strength and your might. You know how to exalt the lowly. Father, help us not despise our lowly status, our lowly experiences, if you allow us to walk through them. Help us instead to trust you. Help us instead to look to you with faith and confidence that you are a God who will make all things right. And you have sent us, Jesus Christ, to be the means uh, to do all that. Father, help us to believe and trust and rejoice in you, and thus to magnify your holy name. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.